This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. Morning, everyone. Wonderful to be with you at Kingdom People. Uh, It's my first time on this stage, so it's taller than I normally preach from. But otherwise, it's all good, and it's, it's great to be with you. And I'm excited to speak uh, from a passage that has challenged me quite a bit since I read it back in April uh, this year on holiday. And you know, when you go on holiday, you try and escape from preaching. But often God gives you a passage on your holiday that he says, this is the one that you're going to live with for, for the time that you go back and, until you do holiday again. And so that's what I'm going to speak from this morning. Um, but I really do want to uh, commend this church. Uh, As we talk about being together for 20 years, it's stuff that you only dream about as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, I think. uh, You think, will we be together in 20 years' time? And a very prominent church leader told us uh, 20 years ago uh, not to build very strong friendships with your leadership because you probably won't be together uh, in 20 years. And even Mark Driscoll, when he came to the Brighton Conference, He said to us, guys, don't get too friendly with your elders because then you can't fire them. And (laughs) it just flew in the face of what we believe, that we believe in relationship and and working together. And so it's such a joy to be back with Kingdom people, uh, to be in a building that you guys have built, and to know that we have friends across the city uh, that have been there for 20 years. And we bring real greetings and love from River of Life, Uh, Samara and I are based at the GP site now, uh, and we love it across there. It's amazing. God has moved us from uh, where we were in Eastleigh to Westgate, uh, working with the poor, and then from Westgate to Eastleigh uh, for about seven or eight years, and now God moved us across to Greystone Park for the last four years or so, just coming up to four years. Uh, But it's all within God's family, and we regard Kingdom People as one of our Uh, churches that we relate strongly with and are great friends with. So I do bring you greetings uh, from everyone at River of Life. Uh, What I wanted to say, if we can turn to 1 Peter 4 and this passage that I mentioned, which God has been speaking to me uh, over the last uh, two or three months, really. Uh, And if I could have it in the NIV, if the guys at the back uh, are working on that, that's where I'm going to read it from. Let me get there for a start. And what I want to do, uh, if you're there, before we start, is set the context for Peter's words here. Obviously, Peter wrote the book, uh, and he writes these scriptures. We're going to look at four of them in the sandwich of talking about suffering for being a Christian. And I think that's really significant, because he starts off at the beginning of chapter 4, therefore... Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same kind of attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And Paul kicks off the chapter by saying, guys, it's going to be tough. Guys, we're going to suffer. And that first part, he's relating to people whom you used to hang out with, giving you a hard time because you now follow Christ. And that's got to be some of the toughest kind of suffering when friends don't understand the stand you're making for Christ and therefore heap abuse. It actually talks a bit later about they will abuse you 
They will make fun of you. Those with whom you used to party and drink with and uh, do all kinds of rubbish with, now that you've stepped away from that life, those guys are going to attack you. And then later on after the passage, beginning uh, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And so Paul starts off chapter 4 with suffering and says, guys, when you make a stand for Christ, you're going to get opposition and suffering. And then later on in verse 12, he says, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Could I have a poll in church this morning? How many people are, are facing a painful trial? Are you going through stuff at the moment? Are you working through something? Whatever it is that surprises you, that's like, God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I've put my hope in you. What is happening in my life? What is going on? Just these verses here, the, the first part of the suffering he talks about, and then verse 12, has got to be the antidote to the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? How do you preach prosperity from this? You can't. Where Peter starts off and says, guys, you're going to face suffering for making a stand for Christ. And do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Almost to say that Christians who don't understand this will be surprised when, when tough times come or when suffering comes. And I wanted to set that as a context that this is how it's going to look going forward. And we'll see in the verses we actually read just now that Paul does this on purpose and I love it. Because I want us to read verse 7. Down to 11. This is what he says. Peter, sorry. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And these have got to be some of the most profound scriptures that Peter ever wrote. I think, because he starts with the end of all things is near. Now we're listening to a guy who lived and walked with Jesus. He's the one who said, I will never betray Jesus. Where, where you go, I'll go. We know that, unfortunately, he did, but God restored him. But if anyone knew Jesus, it's Peter. Somebody who lived and walked with Jesus, not only that received the Great Commission, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So Peter is somebody who's seen Jesus, experienced Jesus, understands it, and is waiting for him to come back. And then he says, the end of all things is near. <laughs> when a guy like Peter stands up and says, guys, the end of all things is near, the, what he says next has got to be, it's got to count. You know, he's not going to mince his words about what we should be doing as things approach. 
And the first thing I want to challenge you with this morning is what is your perspective of life at the moment? What are you living for? You know, Peter spoke about suffering, and then he said the end is near. And it's clear he was only living for one thing. He was only living for Jesus' return. Since that day on the beach, or I think it was a beach where Jesus said to, to Peter, I'm going, but I'm coming back. Therefore, go and make disciples. He's only living for that day when Jesus returns. And too often, I think we live in a here and now. Caught up in the suffering and the hardship and the difficulty and the trials. Caught up in the attack from the world. And we get down and frustrated. Where Peter's response in the back of this suffering he talks about, he said, guys, the end is near. What we're living for is about to come. How would you change the week you're about to live if you knew Jesus was coming back next Saturday? Hmm. Would you change anything? It could happen. Peter says the end of all things is near. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. <laughs> but he was living for Jesus' return. So really the heart of my message today is how do we live if Jesus was coming back next week? How do we live in this world at the moment where things are tough, things are difficult, people are attacking the church, people are attacking Christians, there's painful trials that surprise us? How do we live as a church. And Paul gives us the ideas right here. And it challenges me to the core. First, he says, be clear minded and self controlled so you can pray. As we think the end is near, Paul says, be clear minded and self controlled so you can pray. The most important thing that we can do at this time and as we prepare for Jesus to come back is build this relationship with Christ. Have this clear-minded focus as individuals. The self-discipline, the self-control to be able to pray. And I think that pray that, that Peter says is an all-inclusive term for living with Christ. I don't pray nearly enough, especially in the light of these scriptures. The end of all things is near. Therefore, evangelize. No. Therefore, have praise and worship concerts. No. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled that you can pray. Now, I want to call us to say, God, make me clear-minded. I think clear-minded speaks about your belief, what you believe is real, what is true, what is worth living for. So often our minds get fuzzy and unclear about what is actually real for me in my life. What is it that God is calling me to do? What do I believe about myself, about my family, about where we are? That's clear-minded. And self-controlled or self-disciplined. He's just spoken about, guys, you used to be living amongst people 
doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. And it takes a self-discipline, a self-control to step away from that and give myself towards what is important to prayer and to relationship with Christ. So the first thing there and the foundation that, that Peter lays for us is to say, guys, if Jesus was coming back next weekend, let's be praying. It would almost be like nothing changes. That I live this week praying, rising early, praying, talking to God, talking to God all day, thinking about Him, building relationship with Him. Friday comes, Jesus comes back and nothing changes. Just this time He's there in person. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be such a wonderful way to, to say, this is how I live. I live in relationship with Jesus. I love the verse in Ephesians 6. I think it's verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep on praying for all the saints. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep on praying for all the saints. That's what Peter lays as a foundation, that end times are near. The end is near, so let's pray. Let's be people who pray. Individually, I love to see prayer meeting coming up on Wednesday nights, is it? Or 8.30 before the service. Pray with the church. Pray with your people. But then Paul goes on to give some, again, quite surprising stuff. Above all. So he says the foundation is prayer. But then he says, above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. And so we see these three priorities for us. In the light of Jesus' return, love, hospitality, Service. How are we doing on those? It says, if Jesus is coming back soon, above all, love each other dearly. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Possibly the greatest and the hardest thing as a church or as a pastor or as people within the church is to love those who we would, by our fleshly nature, consider unlovable. That's why he says it covers over a multitude of sins. Possibly those people who have hurt us. Possibly those people who have gone and done things which are just so crazy. So hurtful. People who've made the wrong choices in life. Who come to our door. And really we've got every right to judge them. And to bring discipline or punishment. Peter says, as the end draws near, we need to learn to love. A kind of love that covers over sin. Because love covers a multitude of sins. We've always battled with that verse, haven't we? That, you don't know what that person's done. You want me to love them? Think of some of the people that if they walked into the church this morning, everyone would be going, Ish, how can they be coming here? What they've done. But Peter says, guys, above all, love each other deeply. I don't think it means that we condone sin. I don't think it means that we sweep it under the carpet. 
But our first response when a sinner walks in is love. And we saw that lived out by Jesus. And it did the Pharisees' heads in. They couldn't understand it. There's a danger that if we lose love, we become those Pharisees. Those guys who are so caught up in the law that they had forgotten to love. And yet Peter says, guys, above all, love each other deeply. And he gives us here what I think are the three most important things in church community, in church life. I love to see kingdom people transforming lives, loving community. Is that it? We've got to do these things as the church. Love each other deeply. That covers over sin. Offer hospitality. How many are good at hospitality? All the Shonas put their hands up. Come on, guys, you're brilliant. <laughs> but there's a characteristic of the church that offers hospitality. It's this attitude, it's this posture of welcoming people in, even the sinful. And I'm, I, I don't mind hospitality. I'm quite good at it, actually. Except I grumble about it. <laughs> How many have done that? I don't mind hosting life group in my home, but in the kitchen while I'm boiling the water, I'm like, I'm just so tired, and none of these people come on time anyway. And who do they think they are? But then I walk out into the lounge. Hi, guys. How's it so lovely to have you in our home? Nice to see you. It's like, thanks, Peter. Hospitality, we understand, but surely we can grumble about it. He says, no. Christian community, above all, love each other deeply. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality without grumbling. You can see that Peter had walked around a few churches in his time and seen hospitality with grumbling. And we know if we go back to the verses about love, that if we offer these things and our heart is not there, then we don't need It's useless. But love each other deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. What does that look like? I think it is. It's opening your homes. It's, it's relationship with one another outside of this building. We can't build the church community that Peter's talking about here in these four walls between 9 and 11 on a Sunday. This is just 10% of what we do. The real church happens out there in our homes, welcoming one another in love and hospitality. It's so exciting. It's not difficult. Some people say, well, church growth and church growth strategy and plans and write books about seven ways to grow your church. And Paul just says, love each other deeply and offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the third one, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one. Love each other. There's a one anothering. Offer hospitality to one another. And then it says each one should use whatever gift 
he has received to serve others. Service. And what happens usually within our church communities is there's eight or ten people serving the other 50 or 60. The Bible says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve the others. And this is a fundamental part of, of church community. That each one has a role. Each one has a gift that God has given that they bring to the church. There's no such thing as anybody sitting and doing nothing. Each one of you, each one of us has got a gift we bring to serve others. And Peter brings this in as the third fundamental thing that we do as Christ, Christ's return is near. And something I've learned recently, and I, I, want us, I want us to grasp it, think about it, is that your gift, what you bring, is from God for the community. Let's read it. Each one should use whatever gift he has received, so we receive a gift to serve others for the community, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And too often, your gift becomes your title or your position in church or what earns you respect. And there's nothing in th these scriptures about that. Peter just says, each one use whatever gift you've received. So God is the one who gives you the gift to serve others. It's a service motivation. It's not a leadership or even a title motivation. And you know what's so amazing is that it represents how God works in life. You know God works through sending a gift through a person. That's why it says faithfully administering God's grace to us. It doesn't come by download. You can't go onto the app and download love from God on your phone. You can't go and download care or prophetic word. Well, you can from some other guy in the States. <laughs> but it's God's gift to us through a person. And there's no room for titles there. There's no room for pride. It's just saying what I've been given by God I used to serve the community, the church. Isn't that what Jesus did? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. The administering of God's grace to us was salvation. He didn't send it by DHL, an apostle. He didn't even send it in his word and say, if you read the Bible enough, you'll be saved. He said, my gift of grace to you, my gift of salvation to you, is in a person. His name is Jesus. And so the incarnation, the miracle of that, that God became a man in order to bring us salvation, to bring us God, is the hallmark of how God works in his church. That you need pastoral care, you look for a person in the church who has a pastoral gift in order that they can serve. You need prophetic words, you look for a person with a prophetic gift who is able to bring that. Love, mercy, all the gifts are through people. And it's the way God designed it, that we would live as a church community dependent on one another, serving one another, 
love covering a multitude of sins, hospitality, but using the gifts of the church. There's no room for pride or saying, oh, I'm the pastor. I've been teaching this more and more amongst our family of churches, and I get the pastors together and say, guys, who's the pastor? Oh, he's the one who leads the church. I say, no, he's not. You don't have to be a pastor to lead the church. In fact, I'm a pastor, but I don't lead our church. Pastoring is a gift. It's a love gift from God to the people. And sadly, the church has taken it and said, he's the Mfundisi, he's the one who leads the church. So many guys who lead churches are not pastoral, have you, have you noticed? <laughs> and that's not a bad thing, because we need the, ap the apostolic gift or the prophetic gift. But each one of us has a gift given, to God, given, by, given from God to us, to the church, the church community. So how are you doing in your gift? Are you serving the community through what God has given you? Do you even know? Peter said, guys, the end is near. These three things remain. Prayer as a foundation. Love and hospitality. And serving within the church. Do you know what I said is why I love this chapter 4? Is because Paul starts with suffering and he ends it with suffering. And then right in the middle he has this incredible exhortation to us to say the church community is all we have to hold on to in times of suffering. And if I read scripture correctly, it's not going to get any easier for us as the end draws near. It's going to get tougher and tougher. But the chance for the church, the community of the church, if we hold on to these things, prayer, love, hospitality, serving, right in the middle of the suffering, is our greatest witness. You know, as it gets tougher and tougher, the chance for the church to grow, to shine, to be the community that God intended us to be, is ever greater. You know, I'm always drawn between the fact that, God, would you fix our nation? Would you cause the, the trouble and the strife and the difficulty to stop? And then I think, well, if that happens, I think the church might battle. I think the community of the church, we wouldn't need one another so much. We wouldn't need to pray. I know the situation we live in now drives us to prayer, doesn't it? <laughs> We wouldn't need to be hospitable. Everyone would have bread and shelter and blankets and clothing and everything's all right. So why do we need to be loving and hospitable to one another? In fact, we wouldn't need the gifts. We wouldn't need each other. We wouldn't need to visit and to encourage each other. And so the church loses its effectiveness. So I get, I get drawn. I'm like, God, if... if if you fix everything, then maybe the church becomes irrelevant and the church building will be empty. Rather, let's stay in this situation, I say. Because the church can be the church. People say to us, why are you still in Zim? Is there any reason? I'm like, there's every reason. Every day there's a headline that reminds me why I'm here. It's because the church community, we need one another. 
And I think that's what, what Peter was saying. The suffering on both sides of these verses. It's because he wants to emphasize the importance as, as the end draws near. Love, hospitality, service. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We pray. Father God, we do thank you this morning for somebody like Peter, who walked with you, who lived with you, Jesus, who heard your great commission, who heard your promise to be with us till the very end of the age, who lived each day <coughs> waiting for your return, expecting your return. God, may we be a church, may we be a people who lives expecting you to return. And for these incredible highlights you've given us of a church community ready for Jesus' return, one that prays, one that loves deeply, despite or in spite of sin amongst us, one that offers hospitality without grumbling, one where we each serve one another with our gifts given to you, given by you. Heavenly Father, help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've just got a few minutes. I'd love to share a testimony with you of a guy in our church who died on Tuesday this week. And I got a WhatsApp from his mother to say he's got a terminal disease. The doctors have said he can't do, they can't do anything for him. And he's come home and we're just looking after him until he passes away. And as a pastor, those are the ones you don't like to receive. Because you, you get that and you think, I've got to go and see this guy, but what do you say? What do you say to somebody in that position? And I promise you, I walked into that home and this guy sitting in his chair personalized exactly what I've just shared with you. He said, Andrew, come in, come in. He welcomed me into the home. You know, he's got these growths either side and he can't speak properly. His tongue was swelling. He can't make words. But he said, come in, come in. Can we make you some tea? And he welcomed me. Deep love and hospitality. And I said to him, what can I pray for you? What would you expect him to say? Heal me. That's what I was expecting. He said, pray for my family that they won't suffer. Because I know I'm going to heaven. But I don't want them to suffer. And his mum is sitting in the chair crying. And you see this perspective of eternity that he knew where he was going. He knew that I'm going to die and I'm going to be with Jesus and that's better. But he had a care for the others who would be affected. And I thought, wow, let me pray for that. He said, I want to be right with God. That was the first bit, our relationship. He said, I want to be right with God and please pray for my family that they wouldn't suffer. I prayed for that. And then as I finished praying, he said, Andrew, can I bring you a prophetic word? <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor here. I'm the one who's supposed to be 
He said, can I use my gift to encourage you? And he brought me a prophetic word. He said, I, I believe God is saying, and, and he went for about five or six minutes through his, his, he was battling to speak. And he said, great. And I suddenly saw this guy using his gift to administer God's grace. And that was two weeks ago. And then he died on Tuesday. And he's with Jesus. We buried him on Thursday. Not a big funeral. Not masses of people there. Just a few people. But I saw the heavenly perspective. I saw an eternal perspective lived out. That this guy knew he was going to be with Jesus very soon. What was important was him to welcome and love me, who he had hardly ever met. Make sure his family was all right. And to use his gift to encourage others right at the end. Can I leave you with that? Amen. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.